This is episode number 270 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, it's Jesse. I am so excited for you to hear this episode of the podcast today. It is actually a guest lecture straight from our prenatal fitness specialist academy course, which is our pregnancy exercise and pelvic health coaching certification for fitness and health professionals. This conversation, I got to sit down with Nicola Salmon, who works in fertility and pregnancy education, coaching, and guidance with folks who are in larger or bigger bodies, and they are navigating these healthcare systems, these medical systems in which they might be having a difficult time directly because of the weight and size stigma that exists in all realms of our society and culture, but particularly within trying to conceive, trying to get pregnant, having a pregnancy, going into birth. There's so many things that folks on larger bodies might run up against in terms of their treatment and their care that folks in smaller bodies are not going to experience. So I think this is going to be super key, especially if you are a fitness or health pro and you are working with pregnant folks, just knowing the impacts of weight and size stigma. And we get into this in the episode to explain exactly what this is and those health impacts that are occurring to our client and patient's health. What can we do as the practitioner to understand to support them, to empower them, to advocate for themselves. And then if you are a pregnant person, it'll just be super relevant for you to know that there are providers out there who are really trying to shift the game for you, for your experience to be a healthier, safer one in the body that you live in right now. So please enjoy this conversation between myself and Nicola Salmon on the impacts on health of weight and size stigma in pregnancy. Hello, friends. Welcome on to the Prenatal Fitness Specialist Academy. It's Jesse Mundell, and today we are joined by Nicola Salmon. Nicola, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about how weight, 
size stigma and anti-fatness is absolutely impacting our prenatal clients' health, their experiences in their pregnancy, their thoughts about preparing for and going into labor and birth, and also so important, their levels of comfort or their lack of comfort in our spaces within the programs and the services we're providing, regardless of that's in person or online. So Nicola, I love the work that you do around these topics. And so I'm really grateful to have you on to have this conversation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work that I do around pregnancy and fertility is really um, impacted by those issues. So I work specifically with folks in bigger bodies and yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in this around how they navigate pregnancy spaces when they're in a bigger body and they want to, you know, support their health and well-being. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit more of an intro to you and the work that you are doing now and maybe how you came to be doing this work? Absolutely. So I specifically call myself a fat positive fertility coach which means that my work is informed by the fat positive movement where we don't say that your body size equates in any way to your health and they're completely independent factors. Um, And I work specifically with folks in bigger bodies who want to get pregnant, who want to grow their family, but maybe are coming up with against some barriers in terms of access to fertility support. And then I'm lucky enough to help them through their pregnancies as well, most oftentimes. Um, and really helping them navigate those spaces because unfortunately for so many people getting pregnant isn't like the only hurdle they have to get over often then there is stigma within their healthcare when they're navigating pregnancy and birth and postpartum so yeah it's a whole heap of things that folks in bigger bodies have to navigate when they are growing their families Um, I was told when I was 16 that I'd struggle to get pregnant and that was because I was diagnosed with a a syndrome called polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. Um, the doctor didn't have any real reason to give me that um, kind of death-defying, like, you'll never have children. Um, and it actually didn't turn out to be true at all. I got pregnant super easy with both my boys. But the fact that I thought it was going to be really difficult had such a negative impact on my mental health, my self-esteem, my self-confidence, the decisions I made in my body. It had such a knock-on effect on so many different ways that I was, you know, identifying as a person. Um, So that got me into, like, training to be an acupuncturist, and I specialised in fertility, um, and then I trained as a coach, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, And when my kids were little, I really began to recognise the impact that my words and my actions around my kind of dieting behaviors and the way that I talked about my body were impacting them and I did not want them to have negative relationships with their body with food Um, and that's when I kind of stumbled into the fat positive space the body positive space the health at every size movement Um, and just realized that like holy crap like the fertility world is inundated with diet talk and restrictive behaviors and so many toxic messages that I knew that I kind of had to combine those two things and to just talk about that and that's just what I've done (laughs) yeah it's so important and gosh the rage of that being told at 16 years old is 
is just first it's heartbreaking. And then for that piece of advice to form your ideas about your body, even more so moving forward at that age is (sighs) so damn frustrating. Yeah. It's so damaging and so violent. And the thing is like, that was what, 20 years ago now. And there was no internet at the time. There was no way of finding information, accessing any other type of care. And the advice I was given was just to lose weight. So, you know, there was really no way of accessing any other kind of support or advice. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about a couple of terms just for just for folks who might be newer to this language and this work. So they have a really solid understanding of where we're going. The first thing I'd love to have you talk about is what does fat positive mean? So fat positive is really exploring like the meaning that we have around words. So fat generally as a word is often used really derogatory. So um, people will use it as a bullying word, like you may have been called it in the playground. It's something that we're quite frightened of, both in terms of like being fat, but also like fat as a food. Like there's so many different ways that we demonize fat within our culture and our society. So the idea of me calling my body fat and also labeling my work as fat positive, what it means for me is that. I am using fat as a neutral term. Like when you think about the word, we've got a lot of things that we associate with it, like greedy, lazy, you know, like morally less than, like all these different ideas. But actually the fat word, the word fat just means I've got fat on my body. It's just a neutral descriptor, like tall or short or brunette. You know, it's just a neutral way of describing my body. So that is the word that I choose to use to describe both my own body and my work. Um, it's also quite a nice word to use when I'm describing folks in general because often there's other language which is quite stigmatizing so it's it's a good alternative to those words and those words are obese and overweight now those words are quite stigmatizing because of the kind of connotations that they come with so when you use the word obese that's used a lot in medical literature and it's used to um to kind of give folks in bigger bodies this disease like the term obesity is used to kind of make folks who are in bigger bodies have this like illness like it's this problem that we need to solve it's this obesity epidemic that is a crisis when actually body diversity has existed for as long as the human population has existed um a term overweight is problematic because you're saying that there is this quote unquote normal weight and then folks who are higher than that are over like normal weight so you're kind of saying that again there's something wrong with them and that body diversity is not normal and expected within a population um but yeah there are lots of words lots of language that we use around fatness and describing the experience that fat people have so there's weight bias which is a term that we use to describe the bias um, that folks face and that can happen in healthcare that happens in folks employment like people who are fat often get paid less than their thinner counterparts um it happens when people are trying to access public spaces so things like theater public transport airplanes all these spaces um 
were created for folks in smaller bodies and therefore exclude automatically folks who are in bigger bodies. Um, and there's fat phobia as well, which is kind of this fear of fat that often folks have. And again, that is often used to describe this idea that we have in as a culture and as a society that we have all these different measures and means and diets and things because we're afraid of being fat. And I read a study that said that people would prefer to lose a limb than be fat if they had that choice, you know, in that either rather scenario, which speaks volumes as to how people view both fat people around them and also the idea that they could become fat as a person. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I think it's super helpful for people to have a, a good understanding of what these things actually mean. And so important for <clears throat> everyone listening in who is a practitioner to know that your prenatal clients and patients are thinking these things potentially about their body. And pregnancy is such a specific instance where folks' bodies are growing larger throughout yeah. this experience. <sighs> Can you just talk about that a little bit and the types of things that pregnant people might be experiencing as their bodies might be getting larger through these trimesters of pregnancy? What might be going on for them? Absolutely. I mean, for folks in any sized body, like we have been almost brainwashed to fear getting bigger, like through our lives, like the thin ideal, this idea of the perfect quote unquote body shape that we have is based in thinness. And the idea that our body gets bigger can be quite terrifying for folks of all bodies. Um, but for folks in bigger bodies, especially like they are often made to feel that they don't belong. Like they are not represented in pregnant photos that we see of people. Their bodies are not often shown as a pregnant person. And regardless of what your body type is, there is this real fear that your body will get bigger and it's beyond your control. Like so often there is this idea that we need to control our bodies. We need to control what we eat, manage what our bodies look like. And when we enter pregnancy, that we kind of lose that control because our body's just going to do what our body's going to do. Like baby's going to grow, our body's going to get bigger. And for people who maybe have a disordered relationship with food or a really um, strict regime about keeping their body to a particular size, then that is going to be really scary. The loss of control that they have, both in terms of like how much they're able to move their body or how they're able to manage that. And also there'll be that fear of everything. You know, like the healthcare professionals may be weighing them and saying, you know, you're gaining too much or not enough. There's all these expectations about how much you should be growing. Like there's rules. And if you grow too much, then they might send you to weight management services. Like there are so many layers to this. And obviously people want to do the best that they can for their, for their pregnancies, for their future kids coming. And there's this, there's such a big responsibility placed on the parents um, and the pregnant person to, to do this quote, quote, properly and to make sure they gain the right amount of weight and their body grows at the right amount, you know, like, and there is no right, there is no wrong, baby is going to grow. Um, 
at baby's rate but it's yeah there is so much expectation and responsibility and that loss of control can feel really frightening for people who've felt that they need to control their bodies for such a long time in their lives yes yes all of this and I just want to highlight on one thing that you said was this idea that to do pregnancy well or successfully means that your body will look one particular way, which is often what we see in marketing and media that, you know, like it's a perfect bump and you only see it from the front. And if you turn around, no one would know you were pregnant. It's all these ideas about how a body is good during pregnancy. And like you were saying that so many folks who are in bigger bodies, they don't see themselves represented in this media, in this marketing around pregnancy. And I want to bring that to our attention, especially those of us working in fitness, just noticing what we see in the prenatal fitness industry, the types of bodies that we see in ads in fitness spaces and just starting to recognize and question, are we seeing mostly, you know, one type of body, this body that fits yeah. into this very small box and we're not even getting into abilities. There's so much oh, more yeah. race, ethnicity, etc. It's really just, we're seeing a lot of smaller bodied white folks, white women largely who are taking up this space in the fitness industry. So just starting to really question, why am I not seeing more body diversity in pregnancy exercise type stuff happening? Yeah, absolutely. It's so, I think it's so important for people to see themselves in those kinds of media, especially when you're pregnant and you're feeling kind of more vulnerable naturally in that state. Like if you are seeking out support through your pregnancy, whether that's from a fitness professional, whether that's from a healthcare professional, if you don't see yourself reflected in how they market their services, how they are showing up in their services, and you're not going to feel that that's, that service is for you, that space is for you. And you know, for so many folks in bigger bodies, they don't feel able to access those kinds of care because they don't see themselves represented and they automatically assume from previous experience of navigating those kinds of spaces that that space isn't for them yeah 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 so important mm. I'm really interested if you can speak to how does navigating weight or size bias practitioners impact someone's experience in let's say pregnancy and maybe in preparing for birth what are your clients telling you as they come up against these things in their care with their care providers? What are they feeling? What are they going through? Oh, there's so many different ways that folks are not being treated in the way that we sh they should be treated. There's so many ways that they're experiencing this weight stigma as they're nav navigating pregnancy, as they're navigating their birth. So talking to what we were just speaking about like they're often given real unrealistic kind of weight goals so if you look at kind of the quote-unquote expected weight that someone should gain through a pregnancy it's based on their BMI so they expect people at a higher body weight to gain less and what that's telling me is that they're not really considering that you know all bodies are going to 
grow a baby that's x pounds they're going to have the placenta the extra fluids you know all the components you know logically that weighs the same amount whether you're in a smaller body or a bigger body but they are using their their bias against fat people to almost give them a weight loss goal when they're navigating pregnancy and one thing that we know we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that any form of weight loss during pregnancy is a red flag for any size body people should not be supported or promoted to to lose weight through pregnancy like it's dangerous it's damaging and it should not be happening um but even through these like weight goals that they're offering to folks like it is a, a underhand way of of promoting weight loss for folks in bigger bodies um and if you're not reaching these unrealistic weight goals then you will be sent to weight management classes you will be given like healthy behavior you know like lifestyle advice and treatments which again can be really harmful and for folks who are in bigger bodies often that just triggers them into some form of disordered eating or eating disorder that they may have experienced in the past because so many of these folks have been on a million diets have tried all the different things and when you're told that you need to go to weight management and and have a lifestyle you know changes then that immediately sends your head to I'm doing something wrong I'm failing my child I'm not good enough like all of these thoughts which are already likely to be rolling around their heads anyway from you know when they were getting pregnant and navigating how being in a body is anyway so it really just enforces this idea that it's their responsibility to maintain this weight to reach these appropriate goals and um yeah it's it's really damaging to folks health to feel that they are somehow not not being good enough through their pregnancy yeah yeah it's just a, too much to handle in normal lifetimes but then also as you're saying coupled with this these guilts and these pressures about needing to do this the right way for your child it just this stress just exponentially impacting someone and this is the thing impacting someone's health if we're actually going to talk about health (laughs) yeah what it's wild it's wild because we know that weight stigma we know that this the way that folks navigate these spaces increases their stress levels we know that then that stress increases things like inflammation impacts hormones like impacts their you know physiological outcomes as they're navigating this like that stress is measurable and absolutely impacts both their mental and their physical well-being what kind of advice are you giving to folks as they are getting, say, towards the end of pregnancy, preparing for birth, making a plan or preferences for birth, what are they coming up against then? And how are you kind of navigating that situation with them? So the, the, the thing that comes up the most is around choice. So it's around people being denied their birth choices, people not being given options such as water births, home births, um, people just being really limited on what they're able to access when it comes to labor and birth. Um, Fat folks have a higher rate of C-sections. They they are automatically seen by the healthcare systems as dangerous in birth. So there's much more increased likelihood of intervention. Um, They'll be given less time to kind of labor without intervention before doctors will 
want to you know pressure folks to to do something different to change something um so the biggest thing that i do with folks as they're trying to navigate that situation is to really emphasize body autonomy it's to really emphasize the fact that they get to choose what happens to their body it is their choice what intervention they decide on the doctor cannot say this is what you have to do you must give consent for that doctor to then be able to perform any test treatment procedure um, and really just helping people understand that they are in the driver's seat they get to control what happens but often because of the way that we're not taught advocacy we're not taught how to have these conversations and there is such a power dynamic between the doctors who are up here and us as patients who are told you know supposed to do what we're told it's about really you know bringing that power to a level playing field and helping folks understand that yes you can say no you absolutely can refuse consent for things you absolutely can ask for what you want um, and helping people decide what that might be giving them the research that's not biased and you know weighed towards risk because that's another thing that folks especially in bigger bodies have to navigate is the way that we talk about risk in pregnancy and birth often doctors will say things like you're definitely going to get gestational diabetes or you know if they're not going to be as dramatic as that they'll say things like you're five times more likely to get gestational diabetes which is true but what they don't tell you is that it goes from 2% to about 10% for folks in the highest BMI bracket. And that means 90% of folks in the highest BMI bracket don't get it. Like it's the way that they talk about these risks, which really scares people. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, people just want to have a healthy pregnancy. People just want to take care of their kids and they'll do anything to avoid and minimize those risks, but they're not well communicated. Doctors will often use them as blackmailing tools to, pe to get people to do what they want them to do. So it's about really empowering folks to understand their rights through birth and pregnancy um, and to help them navigate those really difficult conversations which can crop up. Yeah, <clears throat> as you're speaking, I'm just thinking what a difficult scenario it is to be told all of these you know, these statistics, the evidence, the research from these medical providers who, again, we want to be trusting, are taught to be trusting, but also these folks, these pregnant people, they want to be doing the absolute best thing for themselves and their babies. So it is so scary to probably offer a different suggestion or tell yeah. people what they want again yeah that the statistics can just bring up so much fear in people so I can only imagine that it is just so tough to to not do exactly what that medical professional is suggesting you do Absolutely. even if it's not what you want to do with your body Mm -hmm. it's such a tough choice for folks and if they don't have any other voices they don't have anybody else in their healthcare team then then they don't feel like they've got any other option they feel really kind of isolated and stuck yeah all right let's back up a little bit to fertility treatment experiences because I think this is again super important for our students to know 
what are some of the most common stuff that are coming up from your clients who are going through fertility treatment that again, they're coming up against that are difficulties regarding living in the body that they're living in? So the biggest one, again, is access. It's being able to access tests, treatments, support, anything that they might need to grow their family to get pregnant. So I imagine that a lot of folks will see like folks who want to get pregnant because often fat folks don't feel that they've got a choice. They feel like they have to try and navigate losing weight somehow because they can't access maybe IVF that they need. They can't access any tests to see what's going on. Um, in the bodies that they're in it's a really difficult position for folks to be in and above all they're told by every healthcare provider that they see that it is their fault that they can't get pregnant and it's their responsibility that you know to lose weight in order to get pregnant which is so wrong and ethical on so many levels but it's not true either like the evidence does not support that but it is so kind of inbuilt into our culture, our systems, our, you know, healthcare, everything. And so many doctors will tell their patients that they won't help them until they've lost weight. So folks are in a really stuck between a rock and a hard place when they want to, you know, be okay in their bodies and actually not try and pursue weight loss anymore, but they're not able to access test treatment support for their fertility without jumping through these hoops and trying to lose weight. When our students are looking at their businesses, whether that is in person, online, when they're looking at their marketing and messaging and how they're selling, how can they increase the levels of safety and comfort that people can experience from working with them, entering their spaces, et cetera? What can they do? Looking around at their marketing and the actual physical or online space, how can they increase that comfort level for people? Mm, there's so much that we can do. I think the first thing is to really recognize our own privileges. So we don't want to invite people into a space where we've made it feel like it's going to be a safer place, but then actually we're not able to hold that container for them and we're not able to create that space for them. So it's about, I think, first of all, doing our own personal work around you know, training with folks who are in more marginalized identities than us, recognizing our own privileges. So whether that's around sexuality, gender, ethnicity, race, um, disability, you know, all of these different things, it's really important that we recognize those privileges so that we can do the work, dismantle some of those ideas that we might hold around those privileges and, um, yeah, really create a an opportunity to create our spaces and, and create them to be more safe and they are never going to be safe I don't think anybody can ever call their space safe because there are so many factors you know we cannot control the words that come out of somebody else's mouth who could be in our class right like we cannot ever control that but all we can do is create you know systems so create rules like how we how people should interact in those spaces we can create expectations around how folks can interact with each other but in terms of like practical stuff um what we can do is really think about the spaces that we're in so if we have a physical space we can think about how we are creating that space to be able to accommodate people so things like seating is a really obvious one that folks will often not think about if they're not in a bigger body like 
do your chairs have arms? Because if they do, chances are that a lot of folks in bigger bodies bums might not fit in them. Um, and there's so many ways that we can just have a couch, have a way of you know being able to offer alternatives for folks. And especially within the fitness industry, it's being able to to offer accommodations for people. So, you know, like what equipment might you need to offer to be able to encourage folks to use accommodations and to listen to what their body needs and make sure that they have those alternatives that are available to them to them and for them to feel comfortable asking for those alternatives for them to feel safe enough to go hey my body won't do that or can't do that like what can I offer um, and something else that can be really important to remember is that fat folks often have a real difficulty accessing clothes accessing you know things that make them feel comfortable in their body while they're moving so how can think about how we can reassure people that they can just turn up in like an old t-shirt and leggings like how can we normalize not dressing up to the gym and not making sure that you're wearing like the right clothes for yoga or pilates or whatever fitness industry you're in because so much of that isn't accessible to folks in bigger bodies and if you can make them feel comfortable coming in whatever they have available then that is going to make them feel more at ease more relaxed and it's you know like thinking about things like weight limits for equipment if you have equipment in your space how can you really communicate that clearly to people so they feel safe even if the weight limit is super high and you know that it's never going to be a problem for anybody how can you communicate that to people so that they can feel relaxed about that, that they're not worried about breaking something or worried that something is going to break underneath them? Like thinking about each and every piece of that puzzle and how somebody in a bigger body might interact with that and what worries that they might have around that can really give you the opportunity to be inclusive from the start and to really set that up. Um, and for online spaces, we can think about how we're showing up like on our website and our social medias, like how many fat bodies are there? How many trans bodies, black bodies? Like how are we showing that this is a space that are welcome for different types of people? Yeah, so, so helpful. Thank you. I, oh, I love it so much in thinking about just really encouraging people to wear whatever they want to wear mm. and breaking down these ideas that fitness looks a particular way and fitness clothes look a particular way. Anything can be an exercising outfit if you're comfortable in it. Absolutely. And we can like, we can lead the way in that, right? Like we can show up like that and show people in through our videos, through the way that we interact with our marketing, that it's okay to show up like this. Like we can be that for other people and people will then see oh well they showed up like that they shoveled up in a baggy old t-shirt but that gives me permission to do that too yeah yeah it's beautiful something that I learned from again someone in a bigger body once they were saying just noticing the towel sizes if you work mm. in a gym space where they're showering what have you who do those towels fit and who might they not fit? That's a really good one. Yeah. And I had never thought about that myself before. And then I'll just say something that we do within our fitness programming is within our messaging and kind of our group rules, because everything is online based for us. We're just super clear in that there is no 
diet talk. There's no talk about how to lose weight or fat loss. It's just upfront. Like this is absolutely not the space for it. If you would like to discuss that you're having a difficult time in your experience in your body, absolutely bring that to us, bring that to the group, but there will be no coaching around how to make your body smaller, et cetera. And I think for fitness professionals, especially if you're leading group classes, bake this right into the, yeah. uh, the group rules or the understanding because these kind of comments can trickle up so easily. And it's like you're saying, Nicola, we can't say that the space is going to be safe. Mm. We don't know what is going to happen outside of that. We need to be confident in our own abilities to manage the conversation, but do what you can to ensure the conversation isn't leading down that track and also know how to bring it back or know how to address what might be happening. And it's so normal. It's so normalized to talk about dieting, to talk about what foods you're restricting like this is really normal like almost like introduction conversation like you know small talk so it's it's really important to remember that people can just fall into that without really thinking about it and maybe not understand the nuances of why something could be problematic so it's really important that we don't shame people for having those conversations because they are so normal and but it is just about you know like setting those expectations from the very beginning and also like gently encouraging people back to a space, you know, and just being able to have that idea that, you know, you can hold people in. And we are not perfect at this. Like we are all human beings. I don't want people to set themselves up with this expectation that their practice has got to be perfect before they get started with this work, because we are never going to reach that. And we are just going to shoot ourselves in the foot and never never make the change that we're capable of changing in this space so start where you're at talk about it keep learning keep learning from other folks who are different from you like learn from black folks learn from fat folks learn from trans folks and just keep moving forward because that is all we can do we have to just keep doing and keep trying and keep getting it wrong and just keep trying again Yeah. My last question for you is basically what you just answered, but (laughs) if you have any other thoughts or ideas about it is how can fitness and health pros really begin to and continue to unlearn their biases and shift the culture of their industries? Yeah. So the first one we talked about already of like naming our privileges. So when we talk about privileges, this isn't like doesn't mean that it was easy for you or a white person or a thin person like it doesn't mean that life was easy it just means that you didn't have these additional barriers that you had to overcome in order to access the same things as everybody else so for me I'm cisgender I'm white I'm in a heterosexual relationship I'm a mid-fat which means that although I'm fat like there are people who are fatter than me so I have been privileged Um, I'm middle class, I'm neurodivergent, I'm not disabled, like all of these things are my privileges. So recognizing them gives you the opportunity to understand where you might kind of have a blank spot in terms of, you know, where you might not be able to see things in a different way. Um, Learning from people who are different than you, that is really, really helpful because they will be able to help you see those blank spots that you might not otherwise be able to see get comfortable with being uncomfortable because this work is not easy 
like this work does not feel good for the majority of the time because we are so used to this like perfection thing that we have to do everything right and we have to tick all those boxes that's not how this work gets done this is messy you're gonna do it wrong you're gonna put your foot in it you're gonna cause harm and we just have to understand that that's how this work works and we've just got to keep doing it um you can follow people who are disrupting your industry like follow them on social media find people who are doing this work so you can be inspired and you can really changed what you're seeing on your social media um you know learn from people who are different from you and really just find the different simple things that you can do every day like how can you change your design of your um studio so that it's more accessible whose work can you amplify on your platform um how can you make your online presence more inclusive all of these different things like it's just small baby steps it doesn't all have to be perfect all at once but it's just doing the little thing one at a time and i know we're all burnt out right now i know that so many folks are just like bloody hell like i just don't have the capacity to do anything but it's just just a tiny thing just think of one tiny thing that's going to take you like 10 15 minutes and just do that one tiny thing and then the next time just do another tiny thing. It's just about taking those baby steps forward to, to making our practices and our spaces for our clients just more human and more inviting and more safe and more supportive in the best ways that we can. That's excellent advice. Thank you. All right, before we wrap up, is there anything that I missed? Any last parting words that you think will be important? I think the last thing that I would love to say is just a great big thank you for all the people who are doing this work. Like if you are watching this, like that is the hardest step, right? The hardest step is recognizing that this work needs to be done, is recognizing that you may not see it all and you don't know it all already. So by just being here and listening and taking some of this stuff in, like that is the hardest bit. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for caring about, you know, fat people's experience, about other folks who may not be the same as you and what they're experiencing. And thank you for wanting to make your practice more inclusive, more supportive, and being able to help these folks navigate sort of a really vulnerable stage in their life. So thank you. Thank you, Nicola. I really appreciate you having this conversation with us. Oh, you're welcome. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 